at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church. And they are going to go with Miss Cindy this morning. If you're taking notes, I've titled today's message, Joy Despite Circumstances. Joy Despite Circumstances. If you've ever been a member or gone to a church that takes missions very seriously, and is real active in missions movements, then you know firsthand that one of the most exciting things in the life of a church is hearing a report, a firsthand report, from the missionaries that you support. It's great to see pictures of the work going on and smiling children, but there's something very special about hearing directly from the missionaries that we support. At my previous church, we supported several long-term missionary programs, and it was so exciting to hear from them about what was going on on the ground. We had two families that committed to 20 years in-country serving the people that they were sent to, and there was something special about hearing and seeing videos of the work that was being accomplished. I know even last year when Project Paraguay came back, which if you're new to our church is our long-term missionary partners here at Berea, It was so exciting to hear the work and all of that was being accomplished to serve those people. But odds are, if you stay around a church for any amount of time that's focused on being missional, you're eventually going to hear an update that's not overly positive, that's not too exciting. I remember one of the saddest updates that we ever received from our prayer partners was when they had to leave country and they had to evacuate the orphanage because there was war in the area that they were in. Sometimes because we live in a real world, we will probably get an update that isn't a positive update. And that's what we're going to be looking at this next several weeks through the book of Philippians. I'd like to welcome you again to Berea. If you're new here, my name is Pastor Bill. I have the privilege and honor of serving as the pastor to kids and students here at Berea. And today we're starting a new series titled Joy Even Though. Joy Even Though. I've titled the series Joy Even Though because like our examples of missionaries, Paul is going to report some bad news. He's going to report back to the church in Philippi. This church that Paul had previously planted has been a real source of encouragement and support to Paul. Now in typical writing fashion of the time, the first 11 verses are Paul's situation. But even in those opening remarks, there's a lot to see about his relationship with this church. And I think it's important to have that framework for why Paul is writing this letter. Before we move on to our passage today, I want to take a look at that opening statement in verses 1 through 11 of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Paul is thankful for their partnership for two reasons. First is the very practical reason. They support and they pray for Paul. Ministry of all kinds takes a lot of focus. It really is a spiritual battle to have the support both of having believers back you financially, but even more, having a group of believers back you with prayer. Can I say the number one thing that you can do for your pastors and deacons and missionaries and all of those that do ministry here at Berea is pray for them. So Paul is thankful because they provide the support he needs. But secondly, he's thankful for their partnership because their partnership stands as a testimony to that God is working in the life of the church. You can get a heartbeat of the way God is working in the life of the church by their prayer and their involvement with helping the gospel reach the ends of the earth. That's why we're so extremely blessed here at Berea to be so missional, so focused through Project Paraguay and the mission projects of the WMU and MOB. And men, can I just tell you, MOB is not just focused on doing work projects. We are being the hands and feet of Christ in the kingdom. Serving our members and our neighbors as Jesus has called us to do. So Paul is thankful for the church and for their partnership. And he in turn also prays for the continual growth of the church. Paul loves this church and they love him. And that brings us to our passage today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and Paul is going to give them basically a status report of his current situation. Here's where I'm at, and here's what this situation has caused for the mission. If you're there, you can say, word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter from Paul. Lord, we ask that you clear our hearts and our minds to hear the word that you have for us today. Lord, let Paul be an encouragement to us as we remain on mission for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to see today that Paul is in a really difficult position, but that even though he's in this situation, he sees God's hand at work, and he maintains joy throughout everything he's going through. I'm going to cheat a little, and I'm going to give you the bottom line for our sermon up front. And today we're going to be trying to answer the question from the words of Paul, how can we maintain joy despite our circumstances? Stay focused. Stay focused. Paul is in a horribly difficult situation. 
Now, the text in the history isn't 100% certain if this was Paul's final imprisonment, but there's a good chance that it was. But even if this wasn't his final imprisonment, he's still in prison. His life is still not in his own hands. But he doesn't allow that to affect him. He refuses to let a personal setback or danger for himself distract him from the ministry that God's called him to. He's stuck in a Roman prison, yet he's rejoicing. How could he possibly maintain his joy in these circumstances? But the same could be asked of anyone that you know. How many here know someone that receives a medical diagnosis that puts their future into question, yet they have an overwhelming sense of joy? How do they do that? To understand, we must understand joy. Our world has tried to mend the words joy and happiness into a single idea. Now, happiness is an emotion that can come or go, but joy is a state of being. Pastor and theologian John Piper wrote a book in 1986 on the topic of Christian joy, and he defines joy like this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy is far more than the, what the Hallmark Channel and social media make it to be. It's a choice, and Paul knew that to maintain joy, he needed to stay focused on Christ. But not just on the person of Christ, but on Christ's mission, what he had called him to do. Regardless of anything else that happens to him, as long as Jesus' mission is moving forward, he's going to rejoice. We'll look more in the next couple of weeks at the second part of chapter 1, but we know that Paul takes it seriously because he says this in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, if I'm here on earth, I'm 100% focused on Christ and what he has called me to be. But if I die, even better because I will be with Christ. So when we think about how do we choose joy, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first one, is the gospel being preached? Then rejoice. Is Jesus Lord? Rejoice. Do you know him personally as Lord and Savior? Then rejoice, Christian, because Jesus is still on his throne, and nothing that happens in this world is going to change that. There are two specific ways that Paul maintained joy, and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time today looking at. Back to verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The first way we maintain joy is to put the gospel first. To put the gospel first. Paul switches his focus now to his mission report. Knowing his circumstances, we can't help but give Paul a pass. It would be understandable if his letter is a little down, is a little depressed. He's in a prison. Paul could make the argument that he doesn't exactly have a lot to be happy about. But Paul doesn't focus on his situation. He focuses on the gospel. He tells him, look, God's mission is being accomplished. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? Well, what has happened to Paul? Since the last time he's talked to the church in Philippi, quite a bit. There was the riot of Acts 19. He had a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. He had a shipwreck on the way to Rome. 
He's been placed on house arrest, and he's got a pending trial coming. Paul has been through a lot. But he says, despite that, no matter what has happened to me, it's served to move the gospel forward. How has all this bad stuff worked to advance the gospel? Verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. People are hearing the gospel. Paul is looking at his circumstances and there's no doubt part of him that thinks, this sucks. Why am I having to go through all this? But there's a louder part of him saying, hey, wait a second. This is working to my advantage. He's got a captive audience. When we think of hearing Paul in prison, we think of the American prison system. You're put in a cell and they close the doors and they walk away. But that's not the prison that Paul was in. Paul was physically chained to a guard 24 hours a day. The guards would switch about every six hours. That means Paul was getting four opportunities each day to preach the gospel to people who couldn't get away from him. Paul said, okay, I'm going to use this circumstance, this imprisonment that I don't deserve to preach to a captive audience. An audience, mind you, he normally could not have gotten. If he just showed up in Rome and said, I'm going to preach the gospel, he wasn't going to get a 24-7 audience with the imperial guard. Who's really chained to who here? Could you imagine being one of these soldiers? He prays without ceasing. Everyone that comes by, he inquires about their spiritual state of being. They're constantly hearing this. Paul was able to get the gospel into the imperial guard, something that never could have been done by a free man. He used the situation for God's purposes. In 2018, I had a friend of mine who was in his 70s, he was a Vietnam vet. We were best friends. We served in ministry together. He fell off a ladder while cleaning his gutters. And he was basically in a coma from that point out. And his wife, as they took him to this rehab facility up in Dumfries, she'd come in and she'd worship in his room and she'd pray with him and she would speak to the nurses. And he was there for almost a year before they sent him home on hospice to die. And when they left, the nurses wept because of the impact, how she had used the situation to say, God's in this. God's in this. We never know how God is going to use our suffering to extend the gospel. Not only did the gospel go to the soldiers, but it would have gone to the judges as well. In preparing for the case, the judges were given a difficult task. They had to decide, is Christianity just another arm of Judaism? Nothing to really be concerned with? Or is this something more dangerous? What do we need to do about these Christians? These judges of the Roman emperor would have had to have started studying the theology of Christianity to be able to make a decision. You never know how God is going to use a specific set of circumstances to get the gospel to someone it never would have gone to before. In 1956, missionary Jim Elliott went to serve the people that he had been sent to, and he was killed on the mission field. For two years, his wife Elizabeth went and she served the people that had killed her husband, seeing many of them repent of what they had done and come to Christ. It's easy for us to allow bad circumstances to begin to cloud and drown out a missional mindset, but we must remain 
focused. We must see every circumstance as an opportunity to point to God, to share of his love and salvation that can be found in no one but him. Paul maintained an attitude of do to me as you would like, but I am going to continue to preach the gospel. What a lesson for us. What if we were to put the gospel first, no matter what, in our workplaces, in our circumstances? I heard a story about a, a lady who had to have many surgeries because of an illness she had. And she, when she went in, she would delay praying until her family could no longer go with her. So they'd wheel her back into the operating room and she'd go, oh, hold on, I need to pray. I don't want to pray alone. Will you pray with me? Who's going to turn down that? So she was using these circumstances to get the doctors and the nurses in on prayer where she could pray for them and pray for their families and pray for the hospital and so many more. What if we put the gospel first with our neighbors? What if we went out of our way right with those that live closest to us to share the gospel? Kingdom impact, church. Gospel focus. That must be our priority. Paul could rejoice because he made the gospel his all. So I ask you, what could change if you did too? Theologian D.A. Carson said this, what ties us together? What do we talk about when we meet, even after a church service? Mere civilities, the weather, sports, our careers and our children, our aches and pains. None of these topics should be excluded from the conversations of Christians, of course, in sharing all of life, these things will inevitably come up. But what must tie us together as Christians is this passion for the gospel, this fellowship of the gospel. On the face of it, nothing else is strong enough to hold together the extraordinary diversity of people who constitute many churches. No matter what we do, we must do it with the gospel on our lips. So not only are people hearing the gospel, but people are also speaking the gospel. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So far, Paul's addressed how his imprisonment is affecting those outside the church, unbelievers. But he, his imprisonment is also encouraging the boldness of believers. Philippians 1.20 says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In Philippians 1.28, Paul encourages believers to not be frightened in anything by your opponents. The book of Philippians should cause us to want this boldness. The book of Philippians should cause us to pray to God, saying, give me the spirit that I'll be willing to be bold with the gospel. I had a pastor who shared one time that his family, every time they go out to eat, as their food would get delivered, the waitress asks what? Can I get you anything else? And every time he'd say, we're about to pray for our food. How can I pray for you? That's boldness. That's putting the gospel first. Think about it. If we were walking down the street tomorrow and we see an 80-year-old man being beat by a group of people, I would imagine everyone in here would intervene. Everyone in here would take action. But if we saw that same 80-year-old man sitting alone at a restaurant, would we have the courage to go and share the gospel with him? Why not? 
The second way that we can maintain our joy is found in verses 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. The second way that we maintain joy is we love Christ's glory more than our own. We love Christ's glory more than our own. We need to check our motives for why we preach the gospel. Some believers were inspired by Paul and some weren't. Some preach Christ for good reasons, and that's great, but there's another group that preaches with a dislike for Paul. There's two motives at play in this passage, and we must be aware of jealousy and envy in ministry. When we look at other churches and other believers, do we get jealous of their success? Are we doing things out of a sense of wanting what they have? This happens all the time in churches. You see the church down the road and think, I don't like them because they do this. But really, it's because they're having success. The Bible tells us every Christian is going to be tempted by this at some point. Romans 1.29 says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Galatians 5.19-21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Perhaps you don't do ministry out of a negative motive, but perhaps you have feelings towards others because of negative motives. We must be real with ourselves. Am I comparing myself to another person or another ministry? Do I wish I had their success or fame or appreciation that someone else has? Here's a tough one. Do I rejoice when I see others succeed? Back in 2016, I was brought into my first ministry leadership position, and I thought I was ready. In hindsight, it wasn't even close. But they brought someone in that I didn't think was ready to be ministry leader. And it caused me have a hard heart towards this person. And I'll tell you, that did damage to our ministry because I didn't like the fact that he had been elevated to a position that I thought I should have been. We must guard our hearts. This is so easy to sneak in. But we must also be aware of the temptation to promote ourselves in ministry. Verse 17 says that some were guilty of selfish ambition. See, Paul was a very well-known person in the Christian movement at this point. And he was having a lot of success. And people wanted that success for themselves. They wanted to be made much of. See, this is what's wrong with this celebrity pastor phenomenon. We look at these videos and these televised events of these pastors with these huge congregations. And we think, if I'm not reaching as many as they are, then my ministry is a failure. Young men in the ministry, myself included, have allowed ourselves to let comparison sneak in. They preach not out of a love for their people, but out of a desire to be more. Comparison is an absolute cancer of the church. 
And for the believer that will keep, it will keep them stuck instead of focusing on being faithful with where God has them. We must be more concerned with God's glory than our own. Now, while we must guard our own hearts to make sure that we don't make these mistakes, we must also not be surprised when others envy us. Perhaps your ministry or your influence does grow because you are faithful to what God has called you to do. You may grow an influence that someone else wants. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, that's not me. I'm not going to be growing an influence. But don't be so sure. God moves in extremely mysterious ways. The question that would be better suited to help us is, what do I do if that does happen? Well, what did Paul do? I can tell you this, he doesn't defend himself. Paul could care less about himself. His singular focus is Christ. A faithful ministry is going to experience setbacks. John Calvin, who was a very famous reformer in the 16th century, was removed from his pulpit after only two years. Jonathan Edwards was voted out after 22 years of service as his church's pastor because he made a stand for the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, an English pastor during the 19th century, faced incredible opposition during the downgrade controversy from those he was closest with. You know what none of these men did? Not a single one of them turned inward and made it about themselves. They said, I am here to preach Christ and I am here to be focused on his word and his glory and his mission in the world. They kept a laser focus to faithfully do the work of Christ. And we must likewise keep our eyes on Christ and anything else that comes, God will sort out. Finally, we must rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. They proclaim Christ out of false motives and with a dislike for Paul, but they preached the gospel, and that was something to rejoice in. We know that their message must have been sound because if it wasn't, Paul would have called them out on the false, the false doctrine they would have been teaching. Galatians 1, 6-9 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Church, this should be a flashing yellow light of caution to us. The church down the street may make us cringe and we may not like their music or the way they dress for church or their style of worship or many, many other things. But if Christ is being preached, if the true Christ is being preached, then we should rejoice. We should rejoice. I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team back up. Jesus promised that this world was going to bring us problems. But Jesus also gave us a place to find our hope. What does he say? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. 
I have overcome the world. It's this hope that gives Paul the courage to look at his situation and say, this is nothing. Why? Because victory has already been won. Like Paul, we need to stand in a world that is trying to break us down and tear us apart and say, as long as I'm here, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to point to Christ and I'm going to find joy despite any circumstance in Jesus alone. See, I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe it is a medical diagnosis or maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Whatever you are facing, I can tell you this. Joy is possible if we set our sights above on Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you don't have joy. Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that all that call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. At Jesus' crucifixion, he was hung on a cross with two criminals on either side. And they were being executed for their crimes. They were being executed for their circumstances. What did one of them say? Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. How does Jesus respond? Today, you will be with me in paradise. I can't promise that the circumstances will go away. But I can tell you, and I can assure you of this, when you call upon the name of the Lord, he is faithful to come to those who call. And with him comes a joy that far outweighs any circumstance we may face. Will you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Father, you did promise that in this world we will face trouble. That there will be trials. Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul. We thank you that in that example, we can turn to you. We can find our joy in something far beyond us and our circumstances. We can find our joy in the victory of Christ on the cross. Lord, that doesn't mean that we won't face further issues here on earth, but that we know you're with us. So Father, I do pray that if there's someone here who has not turned to you, has not found their joy and salvation in you, Father, that you will touch their hearts. That you will bring them into a relationship with you that they can experience the joy that you promise. Lord, if we need to take action today, I pray that you give us the courage to take that action. That you give us the courage to say, Lord, I'm turning this over to you today. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to be focused on your son, Jesus, from here on out. Lord, we pray this in the only name that we know how, the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If there's action that Jesus has laid on your heart today to take, I want to challenge you. Don't push that off. Jesus is working in your heart to find joy in him. If you need to do work with Jesus today, you do that during this song. 
I will be here to pray with you. There are many others here that would love to pray with you. But let's find joy in Jesus, church. The only place that we can know for certain that we can have joy beyond anything we'll face. Joy despite our circumstances.